You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom Rocha. This is On Principle, Challenges in Jewish Education. I'm Avram Kivalevich, and I'm here with Rabbi Avram Shimon Moer, Rabbi Avram Shimon Moer, Superintendent of Education of the Associated Talmud Torahs of Chicago. Those of you who aren't familiar, uh, the Associated Talmud Torah of Chicago, Torahs of Chicago, is an incredible institution. And Chicago is blessed by being the only Jewish community in North America that has an agency like, as it's called, uh, outside of Chicago, AT&T means associated telephone and uh, telegraph. But in Chicago, especially in the Jewish community, it means the Associated Talmud Torah, which is a organization that's dedicated exclusively to community-wide Torah education. Now, community-wide in Chicago, as you're going to hear from Rabbi Muller, isn't just a, a very narrow swath, but actually Chicago, as it's expanded in the 100 years since, almost 100 years since the AT&T developed, has schools of all stripes, schools that run the gamut from what we call Haredi, Yeshivish, Hasidish Orthodox, and very modern, progressive schools employing some of the most cutting-edge, interesting ways of teaching students. And the AT&T is partners with every single one of those schools and not just in some ceremonial way, but they deal with the principals, the teachers, and the parents to support education, funding, and advocating for the continuation of Jewish day schools. I have to say, I have to uh, you know, uh, reveal uh, that I do have a relationship with Rabbi Muller, and uh, it goes back uh, many, many years. And uh, I'm going to apologize if I, if I uh, slip up and I don't refer to you in, in, in the august title that you deserve, Rabbi, uh, because we, as you know, we, we are uh, old, old friends. And uh, I also was a, uh, I worked in Chicago for many years, and I proudly uh, put on my resume that I have my teacher certificate from uh, the ATT, and I learned a tremendous amount from them. Now, Rabbi Moeller, the reason I've asked you uh, to speak with me because uh, I think our audience would like to hear not only uh, about what's happening outside of New York, but also an organization like yours that deals with so many different schools, so many uh, different types of, 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 of student, and so many types of different types of parents. And especially, you can't get away from it, how have you been handling and some of the methods and strategies that you've had during this incredible COVID-19 pandemic time? So take it away. <laughs> okay, so first of all, I just want to say Shalom Aleichem, and it's really a delight for me to be reconnecting with you, Rebecca Levitz, and renewing a uh, deep and old relationship, very fond memories of long walks that we took on Shabbos on the way home from Shul, and deep thoughts that we thought about together. And uh, I want to wish you much Hatzlacha on this podcast and so on. Okay, but uh, um, to, to speak to the topic, it is really a wonderful thing that I have the opportunity to visit really, truly a, a broad spectrum of Orthodox schools. I want to be clear, the Associated Thaumaturas affiliate schools in Chicago are all Orthodox. But that being said, it's very broad uh, definition of Orthodoxy. We 
have, uh, we range from, you know, Toed modern Orthodox schools to Hasidic schools that, uh, uh, you know, teach in the Derech Yisrael Sabin, the very uh, old uh, traditional methods. So it, it's interesting as this situation with uh, Corona has progressed, you know, in the beginning, I think uh, everybody uh, gets the adrenaline, adrenaline rush. We all come up with the altruistic and very unified approach to working together. All the barriers come down. Every segment of the community works shoulder to shoulder because we have a crisis to deal with. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing about our people. And we're certainly the envy of the nations in that sense that you didn't really circle the wagons and come together. But as time goes on, as it's true for individual crises and communal crises, you know, people's personalities and individuality comes out. And I think that's fine. That's not a bad thing. But uh, at the same time, we need to know that it's there. We need to acknowledge it. And uh, within the schools uh, in Chicago, we are beginning to see uh, some uh, diversity again in how, first of all, their their response was in terms of educational continuity, keeping the lights on, so to speak, in the schools. Uh, I'm speaking, of course, about the some of the ideological questions about are we going to use internet-based teaching, uh, virtual teaching, or are we going to stick to uh, phone platforms and so on, which we have, again, the whole gamut. We have schools that were running uh, five to six hours of Zoom instruction daily with their students to schools that started up with, uh, you know, recorded, pre-recorded asynchronous uh, sessions where kids called in and they listened to a recording and uh, then the Rebbe sent the packets. And, uh, of course, everybody has upped their game as time went on. We become more proficient in whatever response we decided to use. And, I, again, I want to be very clear. I don't want to criticize anybody. I think everybody is sticking to what they believe in very passionately. It's not a question of some schools having a lower priority about learning and a higher priority about other things. It's truly they believe that this is part of the kind of question if we're going to expose children to technology that they've never used before and we try to keep them away from, are we going to be able to put that genie back in the bottle? And uh, like I say, more power to them. At the same time, there are schools at the other end of the spectrum that say, look, we've been able to do so much more learning and even more importantly, so much more accountability about learning because it's very difficult to expect the kids to dial in and Baruch Hashem have lots of anikloch and Hashem has blessed me with, and, uh, you know, my children tell me, my kid picks up the phone, dials into his cheder, puts the phone down, and goes to eat a bowl of cereal. Yeah. What am I supposed to do? This is a reality, and uh, don't worry, my ankle is a very sweet, smart boy, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you know, there are limitations to what you can do over the phone. Right, and so... Limitations to what you can do in, in the home, which is something that was an early conversation amongst our schools. What level of accountability? How we can really get grades and so on. Um, but I, I think, in general, schools like individuals are going to revert back to who their personality is. And in a school, that would be called the culture, right? When we talk about culture, we talk about norms, uh, patterns of behavior, attitudes, which are somewhat predictable, but they're much more. Sub- subtle than ideology. Ideology is usually expressed. You know, the school says we stand for this, we don't stand for that. We discourage our children from doing this. We encourage our students to do that. We aspire for our students to have these and these accomplishments, whether it's whether they're going to go to college or whether they're going to go to yeshiva, what kind of yeshiva. 
those are the stated things. But then culture is a little more subtle, and every school has a culture. I think it's just a little more difficult for parents who typically interact with one institution or one bandwidth, one part of the bandwidth. So in other words, if I send all my children to Haredi-type schools, I might be sending to a Beisachar high school and to a Cheder and so on. But I'm encountering a culture that's very similar. And there are definitely uh, characteristics of each part of these cultures. Uh, a good example of that is how much does a school aspire to give sh- the students agency? We all say that we're building children, but some schools say, I want children to be as independent, control their learning, you know, put them behind the driver's wheel in the car and let them uh, discover and so on, versus schools that say, you know, our primary job our, is to hand over the Messiahs and we should be the source of, of what our children understand and believe. And we shouldn't encourage them to, to broaden, their horizon, <coughs> broaden their horizons as much. Now, these more subtle philosophies express themselves in all kinds of different ways. And I think we've been seeing that um, in terms of, of the continuity of education, how schools decided when they were faced up against this brick wall, so to speak, that school was closed between, literally between Friday and Monday. You know, what was the response? What are we going to do? Um, and I think... Looking back, we could have predicted what each school's response would have been based on what we've had in the past experiences. It's all good. It's all fine. It's just, to me, an interesting thing to think about. Um, so, so so let me just uh, uh, interject here for a second um, on a couple of points. And it's definitely an interesting panorama that you're painting. And it sounds like, you know, you're almost like if you are this overseer uh, of all these schools, it sounds like you've got uh, almost like, a, a grandparent with with wonderful wonderful children and grandchildren of all different types, and you are trying to pat each one on the head properly, and uh, <laughs> and I appreciate that, and I know you, you have That's to be very intuitive, Robbie Kevlar. Yeah, <laughs> you have to be sort of a a political here, but I I just want to push back, not push back. I just want to ask you the following: um, you're implying, of course, that that schools that that embraced the technology uh, quicker uh, because it was already part of their culture uh, were able to shift into virtual mode and virtual mode, even a complete zoom with the classrooms and everything is also very difficult to, to monitor. And it needs a tremendous, sure, especially with younger children and it's a tremendous, I, I can tell more you effective as children develop. Yes. So once yes. you're through middle school, you really start picking up uh, effectiveness and efficiency. Yes. Yeah, so, yes. So I guess what I what I was trying to get at is that you, you, um, you know, as sort of the grandparent and as sort of a person and, and Rabbi Muller, before you took this title, before you actually had this role as a superintendent, you were actually involved in, in what I guess would call somewhat of a, you were the principal or one of the principals of a, of a Haredi school. Uh, so you know this culture very well. Uh, not only are you a product of it, but you were part of it in the Chicago sense as a teacher and as an advisor and as a, a counselor. So what I what I would ask you is, um, you can't couldn't you go there and say, look, um, there there might be methods considering this is such an incredible different difficult period where we could come up with a kosher way to increase the learning as much as possible, at least for now. I know that. Um, 
I had a discussion a number of weeks ago uh, with uh, Rav Simcha Kuk, who was describing what Torah Masora came up with, which didn't need any sort of uh, internet connection at all. Um, at least it was a very it was a very controlled one, and you know, like you say, maybe the genie wouldn't go out of the bottle that way. So, as, did did these schools turn to you and say, "Att Rabbi Muller, help us"? And, and, and since they did come to you, maybe there's a, a way you could whisper in their ear that they could continue in a way that's actually more successful than, than as you say, calling in and hearing pre-recorded material. And, uh, and like you say, there'll be less serial munching. Um, so uh, th- that's, I guess, one point. Uh, I know you have to be careful because you want to give them their independence and let them be who they are. So... Yeah, okay. So first of all, <laughs> I'd like to say, I think of myself not so much as a grandparent. A grandparent, your uncle comes to visit you and you have a little nachas and after a half hour, when the baby starts crying, you say, okay, <laughs> thank you for the visit. Yeah. Uh, no, we are much more engaged in that level. A prayer, we try to be like wise parents. So we have to know, uh, we really have to know where to draw the line and, and where to pick fights with schools. And that was a bad word. I wouldn't pick fights with anybody. But where we should insert ourselves and try to counsel the school or where something is a foregone conclusion. I, I made an allusion before. If something is predictable and I know that this is going to come down, I don't think there's any point in trying to, uh, you know, have additional Vada meetings and so on if we really know what the conclusion is going to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's legitimate. We definitely have schools that are somewhat in the middle who might be vacillating one or the way or the other. Should we go take this route, take that route? Um, like any community, there is a little bit of kin of soap in between institutions, especially those that are more in the center. You know, they want to define themselves maybe more, more yeshivas, less yeshivas, but they might struggle with, okay, if the more Haredi schools made this choice, what's it going to look like if our school makes a different choice? So in those situations, we definitely try to encourage them. Sometimes it's also a matter of logistics. One of the ATPs does that we're very proud of is we work very hard in supporting the schools. Okay, do you need devices? Do you need to know what platform is working? Do you know what best practice? What teachers? Let's remember that in every school, no matter where they are on the spectrum, the staff is also diverse. Some of them are old hands and digital natives, and some of them are very, you know, frightened by it and the, you know, it took a lot of coaxing and encouragement for them to become proficient. So those are all things we can do. I don't think, you know, this is just a general leadership question, not that we don't have the courage to push when we feel it's necessary. You know, if it's a Davashayn and Nishma, if it's something we know, Chazal tell us, you know, over, and it's not going to happen. So then why waste anyone's time, especially at a time when people are tense and, you know, stressed and have to make very, very quick decisions. You know, these decisions about what platforms to use and how to go back on were made literally in 24 hours or less. So, you know, they don't necessarily come running to me. You know, they're going to talk to their board presidents. They're going to talk to their vadechen. Uh, they might call their mentor, their rashashivani, you know, where to go about it. And then, you know, on the rebound, we'll come help them, you know, do whatever they need to do and so on. So uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a mixed bag. And that's part of what makes Chicago so colorful and makes my job so interesting. 
But uh, we definitely worked with the schools that, you know, were vast because of technical reasons or because of logistical reasons. Uh, did we try to lay, uh, seed some ideas in some people's minds? We definitely did that as well. So, so again, subtlety is important because as you, as you say, you don't want to alienate and you don't want to have uh, create an adversarial type of situation because you're, you are there, you are there to help. Um, look, we're all in this. That's not my idea of leadership altogether. Certainly not in the kind of role that I have. You know, we want to be seen as, as a helpful organization that adds value to a system. And uh, these, the reality is that the schools in this community, like any other community, are autonomous. It's not like we write their paychecks for them or we raise their money for them. They are all board-led community uh, serving se- different segments of the community, but community-run schools. And uh, we d- we're the great convener, but we have to remember that that's our place. I do want to say there's another element that here as well that the ATT is is very important, which I don't know if other uh, communities that are the size of Chicago have, which is that there's a certain almost like uh, uh, the teachers who are all part of any of those schools have sort of like almost like a teacher's union where you are, if you're an ATT teacher, there's certain um, standards that are expected from your employer, certain uh, benefits, certain things that if you have that, that so really the teachers are also a part of it. I mean, you've talked about the administrators and you've talked about, but the teachers are also benefits, uh, beneficiaries of being part of this giant network. And, um, and I know when I was a teacher in that network, uh, we always shared stuff with, with the other teachers and we, we, we had support um, uh, from each other in terms of how we would, and, and that I think is, is the next point, which is um, you talked about teachers that weren't necessarily uh, proficient. Um, and, and clearly there's going to have to be uh, some sort of reorganization of staff and figuring out, as we can tell, we don't know what the fall is going to be. We don't know if there's a second spike or the first spike hasn't ended, but there's probably going to be some compression that's going to affect the size and the monies that are going to come in for these schools. I, I yes. Think it, <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, this makes me think of an interesting conversation we had on one of our principal council meetings. Uh, there was some discussion. I was actually trying to make a suggestion that perhaps we start sharing content between school and school so that because at that point in the discussion, people were talking about how overwhelmed the teachers are, that they have to do recordings and also do live teaching and so on. So I asked uh, maybe Lafitte Tomasi, I, I suggested, you know, if you have a star third grade Chumash teacher, why can't they prepare the Chumash content for all the grades at that level? And then let the other teacher do whatever, uh, the Rashi content or, or Mishnah content or something like that. And one of the principals brought up a concern that, you know, we might start getting pushback now from boards who say, well, you can run school this way. And you can have one teacher teaching 70 kids instead of one teacher teaching 25 kids. Uh, and I very much respect that answer, not just because of question of expediency that we don't want people to lose jobs. The reality is, and this is becoming more clear, and again, it's really history repeating itself, we're becoming more aware of how critical the personal relationship between the learner and the teacher is. And even though we are doing wonderful things with virtual learning and with certainly 
rising to the challenge. Anyone who's going to suggest, okay, we figured out how we can run a Zoom school, uh, is really trying to repeat a mistake that was made. Uh, it's funny, when I went to the school myself, so we read several articles that were written in the past. In the 1930s, there was this uh, proposal that you know radio was already well-established, that we should get these master teachers who are going to teach subjects on the radio, and the rural districts shouldn't need to have schools that just basically have a schoolhouse and a monitor who's going to come there, turn on the radio, and everybody will sit there and they'll have worksheets, and we'll have the best teachers for the, the most remote parts of the country. Um, it became very, very clear that that didn't work. And then that happened again when television came around. Again, there were people saying, oh, television is this new magical medium that we could teach everybody and we could bring the best instructors and best uh, methodologies. And again, we learned that that doesn't work. And then, of course, when computers began, that became the rage. So not to take anything away from virtual teaching, which does have its place and actually does have certain strengths that we are also experiencing now. That being said, it's not, it's not going to be the future. Now, all the discussion about what are we going to learn from these experiences, we're going to learn a lot of things from these experiences. One of the things we're going to learn is we don't change so easily. <laughs> I think from a system standpoint, you know, it's all going to go back pretty much because we're all yearning so much to go back to normalcy that that's really become sort of the holy grail. This is what we're looking for. We're looking to get back to school, looking the way it always used to. So uh, I say this with a great deal of sadness that unless we're really, really going to work hard on ourselves, we're not going to reap the benefits from this crisis. We're not going to be able to, uh, you know, really recognize everything that um, these experiences have brought to us as human beings, as methodologies and so on. Well, that, that's really a great historical perspective you've given us uh, uh, about uh, the excitement over these other uh, technologies in the past and how they also fizzled. So I think that that's something you're right. We need to learn and understand. Rabbi Mover, I just want to uh, conclude here just with uh, another thing that, that suggests itself from this conversation. Uh, we know that different, as you say, different schools have different shittas and chinuch, different shittas and philosophies and how in terms of opening to the, uh, the world at large and what they want out of their teachers. But they, of course, they also have a very varied parent body. And um, I, I, I guess there are probably schools where the parents are more active and schools the parents are less active. Um, that third component, we talked about the children. We talked about the administration. Shlesha, yeah. Yes. Let's <laughs> talk about the parents. If you could just give, you know, just a, a little brief idea of your of your perspective of how the parents have been involved and 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 how what what could their I know you talked about making sure during um, virtual learning the parents need to be making sure the kids are are, are engaged because they're at home, but in general, what, what's your perspective about parents from different schools? Um, that are under this umbrella. Yeah, okay, that's a, a great and important topic. It's another manifestation, in my mind, another manifestation of the culture of schools. That's, again, a subtle belief and, set of, and standard of behavior that you see in schools. So some of our schools came out of the gate responding to the parents, you know, this is the plan, we're very excited, this is going to be great, and this is going to work for you, and this is what we're going to offer you. And then a week or two in, we're going to call you up and we're going to find out how it's going and we might make some adjustments and so on. 
a lot, some of our schools, their first thing was to survey parents. Okay, this is what we have in mind. This is all new territory for us. This is what we would like to do. Can this work for you? Do you think, what are the limitations? What are the concerns you have? And again, that's very typical of how our schools, our spectrum of schools interact with their parents. We have schools that on an annual basis send out a, a parent satisfaction survey. And, you know, you have to have some amount of courage to do that because you're going to hear criticism. You, when you ask a question like, uh, how well does your, your, your school principal listen to your concerns? Or how comfortable do you feel to turn to your school when you have a problem? Right? And you might not like those answers that you see on there, but that's how we grow. And then we have schools that will tell you, oh, our parents are highly satisfied and everything is great. And uh, that's true to a great degree, but it's not true. You know, it's not fully true. Um, and, uh, and again, everything in between. So that was very, very apparent when we went into the situation over here. Uh, we had schools that said, okay, this is the plan. This is what we're doing. We expect the parents to support it. And this is what you need to do to support it. And we'll call up. And if kids are not going to be on the calls, we'll, we'll make sure to follow up, which is a good thing. Because it does have to be some sense of school and, and responsibility to school. And then there were other schools that sort of assigned the social workers to reach out to those kids. What are your struggles? How can we help you? It's really another expression of culture. And anybody who's a parent in a school, I think we'd be able to identify with this uh, continuum of attitudes and say, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to do with the uh, particular coloring of the school. It has much more to do with the philosophy of the administration. There are schools that are very much to the so-called right, who are very open, very nurturing, and so on. And then there are schools to the very far left. It's not necessarily a measure of how progressive you are. I think this is more individualistic in terms of the makeup of the school's administration and so on, where some schools are better listeners and some schools are a little more demanding of their parents. You know, this is what you pay for membership. You want to send to our school, this is, this is how it is. But, well, I would say that considering that we're going into this yonder that we don't know if it's wide and blue or if it's wide and gray, parents are going to be so crucial in that. And I think probably it, it behooves all the schools to nurture better relationships with the parents as much as possible, especially since the tuitions that are going to pay for the rebellion and pay for the teachers and pay for the labs and everything are going to come from them. I think parents, you're right, there are parents, no matter whether you're a Haredi parent or a modern Orthodox parent, your attitude might be completely different and might be you might have in a Haredi school you might have a parent that's almost a helicopter parent <laughs> and you might have a, a parent in a, a modern school that says just let them uh, be educated you're right it's nothing to do with your frumkite or your attitude or who your Rebbe is but I do believe that uh, in this world as we've talked about before the three Schutfen 2020s fall season and beyond the parents I think across the board are going to have to be playing a, a much larger role in determining whether they're going to continue the education there and how much support they're going to be giving so I know that the parents probably feel I would be a parent in Chicago I'd say I'm happy that there's an ATT out there that at least if I'm being frustrated with the school I, I can get, maybe get some clarification from something that's 
an, an overseer. Um, again, I'm touching here something that might be, I know you don't want to open up, but, but, but I, I think know, it's definitely something that comes up. I definitely feel calls from parents. Again, I have to be respectful that at the end of the day, we're here to serve schools, but voice, which is really what you're describing over here, how much voice does a parent have in impacting their child's school experience is something that I'm very focused on. And I try, again, sometimes in subtle ways, to bring to a school's attention that, you know, there is dissatisfaction about this. Sometimes schools are in a little bit of a bubble, or the leader at least is in a bubble. And they're telling me that everybody was so delighted with what I did. And sometimes you have to say to them gently, well, actually, we got a few calls about it. You know, there, there is another side to this. There is another perspective. Uh, we are human beings, and we all love to hear that what we're doing is great. But at the end of the day, there are... It is really, really important that parents have a voice and that parents feel safe to be able to come to a school and express a concern or, you know, we're going now into reopening, right? That's going to be the next big discussion. Uh, we're going to have, again, a whole spectrum of responses from our schools. Some schools that are already running programs for the kids in the school, in-person programs. And then we have schools that are just starting to think about, you know, whether they're going to be completely virtual in September or it's going to be hybrid and we're going to alternate and so on. And it's a, it's a very complex problem because we all, you know, want to go back to normalcy, as I said before, and it's certainly the most effective way to run school is, is in person. And it's becoming more and more of a burden on the families having their children home and all that. So it's definitely something, but again, the attitudes and how much the parents will be involved in those decisions and so on, is going to be just, again, another expression of the school leadership style and to some degree also the culture of the school. Well, I think that the uh, – I'm not McConaughey, Rabbi Ram Shimon. I'm not McConaughey, the position that you have. I'm very happy that you are sitting in that chair, but I'm not McConaughey because I think you're going to – you have to use all that chokhmah uh, that you've gained in all your years, and, and you're, it's going to, you're going to have to become, as we say, there's the shoftayim and there, there's the yoyetzayach. <laughs> so the Yoyotim stand higher than the Shoyotim in many, many ways. And sometimes it's those Aitzes. So I thank Robert, you for oh. that. I thank you for that. I just want to close. I want to be clear. I'm not just saying this to be flattering. There are no bad people in schools. Schools are all run by truly devoted, dedicated people who are working very, very hard. We sometimes get caught up in what we're trying to do, and it gets very intense in schools. And we sometimes make mistakes. But uh, I think when we can have a calm conversation about things, we are, Baruch Hashem, most of the time able to write things and get it back. As I the Gresta Koyen can't be really a nigga He can't see his own. And, and I think that's really a very important thing that um, that there isn't, the, and, and I know that you work very hard not creating an adversarial connection with any of the schools that look to you uh, for for guidance. So thank you, Rabbi Muller. Uh, for being with us, we, we wish all the Atzalacha uh, in the world uh, to Chicago in general. I have a lot of fond memories there, and especially for what you're doing, the Sabaytas HaKadosh. So that's on principle uh, for today, Rabbi Yisai, and we'll hopefully be back uh, soon uh, with another episode. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 